0: Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. I want to try to read this off the screen because I want you to see it in the New King James Version. I actually like the way it is stated here in the New King James Version. And so let me just read this to you. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. I want you to underline that little phrase, we have Peace with God. There's three things I'm going to say to you today. I'm going to talk to you about what you have. I want to talk to you about where you stand. And I want to talk to you about what you know. You're going to see all three of these words in these verses of Scripture. So look at that. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. So not only what we have, but where we stand. And I want you to notice where he says we stand, we stand in grace today. And rejoice in hope of the glory of God, and not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. Now listen to this, knowing the tribulation. I think God's going to encourage both you and me this morning because of what we have, where we stand, and what we know. And so let's just go on and read what he says we know. We know that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character and character hope. Now, hope does not disappoint. I mean, when it's all said and done, it is not going to disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who, uh, has given us or was given to us. Now I'm working my way through the book of Romans and uh, both teaching and preaching the book of Romans uh, to our church. And it's a very, very interesting book. And the first four chapters of the book of Romans is for everybody. And as a matter of fact, the, the theme of Romans is found in chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, where Paul lays down this point that we're justified by faith. Everybody's justified by faith. And Paul goes to great lengths in these first few chapters of Romans of saying that everybody needs to get saved. And everybody gets saved the same way. Whether you're bad, like the awful people that's in the latter part of chapter 1, verses 18 through 32 of the book of Romans chapter 1, whether you're really bad people or whether you consider yourselves to be a good person, like he describes in the first half of Romans chapter 2. So to this outright heathen and pagan out there, they need to get saved. But to this religious good person, this Jewish person, they also need to get saved. And and, and he makes an interesting observation here that all of us stand before the wrath of God. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. He, he goes to great lengths to say that in Romans chapter 3. None are righteous, no one's righteous, everybody needs to get saved, whether you're Jew or Gentile, male or female, wise or unwise, educated or uneducated, everybody needs to get saved, and everybody gets saved the same way. If you're in my class on the doctrine of salvation, You'll know that we recently looked in chapter 4 where Paul does something that just really blesses my heart where he shows that even Abraham, and he's really preaching to the Jews, that even Abraham, the best man they ever knew, who the rabbi said was probably the most near-perfect man that ever lived, the father of their faith, that he was justified by faith. He wasn't justified by works 14 years before he was ever circumcised. He just believed what God said, and God justified him. So the best man they knew needed to get saved that way. The King David, whom they... Uh, admired greatly as a king, but was the bad boy in Jewish nation, killed somebody, lied, committed adultery, and so on and so forth, he still needed to get the same saved the same way. So Paul talks about everybody needs to get saved, and he goes into this thing of how anybody is saved, and it's all through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that takes you through chapters 1 through 4 in the book of Romans. Now, an interesting thing happens in chapter 5 of the book of Romans. It's a turning point, it's a shift, it's a change. And what is happening here is being written not just to everybody. Now, not everything in the Bible is written to everybody. Uh, you know, some things in the Bible is written to everybody, and then some things in the Bible are written specifically for Christians. And so, what he talks about here in Romans chapter five is now that you are saved, here are these wonderful benefits. Of salvation, these wonderful realities of salvation, these wonderful uh, truths about salvation. Uh, he he's talking about you're saved, and really in Romans five, he just begins to talk about just how saved you are and how secure you are in the Lord Jesus Christ. So he turns to the hope and the assurance that we have in salvation. I was reading John MacArthur the other day, and I I don't want to go this direction today, but I thought I'd just give you an idea for a sermon. When John MacArthur studies this passage of scripture, he talks about, here in Romans 5, these chain links of the assurance of our salvation. And and he actually lists 6 here, and, and he just talks about just... You know, how saved we are, how secure we are, and, and all of these are mentioned in these first eight or nine verses, and you can develop this and perhaps preach it, uh, you know, there's the chain link of peace, there's the chain link of standing, there's the chain link of knowledge, there's the chain link of love, there's the chain link of deliverance, there's the chain link of reconciliation, and just really shows just how secure and how saved we are. Well, that's not really the direction I want to go in this morning. I want to take just a little bit of direction, and I want to talk to you about the blessings of being a Christian the benefits that you have of being saved today and I'm asking God just to sort of load us up with the benefits of salvation. Now you'll notice first of all, if you put that scripture back up on the screen and just leave it there please, you notice first of all that he starts off in this Romans 5 verse 1 with the word therefore. I heard Ron Dunn say in this very pulpit here years ago as he would come and preach here at Fruitland and he used to say this, anytime you see a therefore in the scripture you need to ask what it's there for and what it's there for is he's wanting to tell you because of all of what's happened in chapters 1 through 4 therefore here are the benefits and the blessings that you have now I want you to notice something else there he says having been justified if you got an old King James version not a new King James version it actually says and being justified. That's not a good translation. As a matter of fact, there's a lot of people that pick up on that and say, well, you know, justification, you know, something that continues on. That's why you can lose your salvation. You were saved. You get out in sin and, you know, and you lose your salvation. And so it's a constant perpetual running into church to be sure I'm saved this week or I'm at least saved today. And they will point to that verse of scripture and say, see, it says there being justified. Not a good translation. They cleaned it up in the new king james version in a lot of the modern translations is cleaned up and listen to what it says having been justified again if I could come back to the doctrine of salvation uh, you've learned in my class or you're at least learning in my class that justification is not a process justification is an act it's a one time act it happens immediately it's a declaration that God gives you it's a legal term you come and put your hope and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and he saves you and you are justified and, and let me tell you People need to settle that act of justification in their life and I'll just say to you here today I hope you got it settled in your life if you're not sure and and even in a a setting like this where people are studying for the ministry you can have some lingering doubts in your heart and mind about your salvation had a deacon to come to the altar two weeks ago and said you know I went down when I was a child but I didn't know what I was doing and I've even served as a deacon and I'm not really sure I'm safe you need to get that settled in your heart and life because the devil will come and attack you first of if you've never been saved, then, then you're in danger of hell. You never need to be sure that you're saved this morning. And then if you have been saved, it needs to be secure so the devil won't come and attack you in that manner. So having... Being justified. And and so he says, having been justified, then these are the benefits that we have knowing that we're justified this morning. Here are the blessings of what it means to be a Christian. So I want you to look back at what he says there in verse 1. He says, having been justified by faith. It's by faith. It's not by works. It's by faith. We have peace with God. In other words, we're no longer at war with God. We've made peace with God. Augustine said God made us for himself and our hearts will find no peace until we rest in him. I don't know whether you realize it or not, but the wars that's going on within you is really a battle between you and God. You might see people fighting people, but it's really this struggle that's going on uh, within them, this battle that's going on with God. And he says here, you know, one of the blessings of being saved is that you have made peace with God. Now, what is the difference in the peace of God and peace with God? Well, the peace of God is something that's alluded to in Philippians chapter four, verses six through seven, where he says, don't worry about anything, step, pray about everything, tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. And then you will experience God's peace. You will have the peace of God. And so he comes to you in these troubling times and he gives you peace that, that uh, allows you to make Make it through those troubling times that's not what he's talking about here he's talking about not the peace of god he's talking about making peace with god do you realize before you got saved that you were at war with God? I said that not long ago in the pulpit and somebody came and said, Preacher, you need to understand, I'm not fighting God. I don't know why you'd say that this morning. I'm, I'm not mad at God. I'm not angry at God. I'm not in a battle with God. And, and what I said to them and what I say to you this morning is this. It, the issue is not are you fighting God and are you angry at God or are you mad at God? Are you at war with God? You need to understand God is at war with you. And you need to understand, apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, that we are the enemy of God. And, and, and quite honestly, uh, we would destroy God as a lost person. If we could, we would take him off the throne and keep him off of the throne. And we need to understand that we're sinful, as Paul says in Romans 1, and we stand under the wrath of God. And what we've got to do is to make peace with God. And we can only do that through the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul we're going to talk about that in Romans 5 verse 11. So we can now rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends with God. One of the blessings of being saved this morning is this. I'm not the enemy of God anymore. I'm, I'm not at war with God anymore. God doesn't look at me as a sinner anymore. I'm not under the wrath and the curse of God anymore. I'm under the blessings of God. I've made peace with God. I'm friends with God. Not because of anything I've done, but because of what the Lord Jesus Jesus Christ has done in me. Paul will go on in Romans 5 21 to say, just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death. Now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us the right standing with God and resulting in an eternal life through the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, I used to be a sinner, but now I'm a saint. I used to be an enemy of God, but now I am a child of God. I used to be unforgiven, but now I am forgiven. I used to have the frown of God upon my life. I now have the smile of God. I am at peace with God. And I'm asking you, do you understand that this morning? I'm not talking about some kind of a tranquil feeling that you might have. I'm not talking about some kind of a psychological sense that you might be experiencing. I'm not talking about feeling positive about yourself. All of that is subjective. I'm talking about something objective this morning based on the inerrant, inspired, infallible word of God that I know. I know what God has said, and I know how God has said I can be made right with him. It's not something I've concocted up. I'm not a part of the 8,000 religions that's trying to find favor with God some other way. No, in the Lord Jesus Christ, I've made peace with God, and I understand that's something that I have this morning. If that won't load your wagon, I don't know what will this morning, but it gets better. Listen to what he says in verse 2. I have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ through whom also we have access by faith into this grace. Consider not only what you have this morning but consider where you stand this morning. You stand in grace. You've been given access into that grace. Again, I want to remind you that not every letter at the post office is for you. Not every bank statement at the bank is for you. Not every word in the Bible is for everybody, but this is a word for you this morning. This is a word for me. We're Christians this morning. If you know that you're saved, raise your hand this morning. This is for you this morning. Listen to what he says. Because I have been justified, I now stand in grace. How did he get in there? Well, how did I access that? That's not necessarily a good word, but it's okay. But it's really more than that. I was introduced into the standing of grace. It's a position where I stand. It's a sphere where I now am. It's an aura that I now experience. I understand where I am in the arena of God's grace, in the position of God's grace I not only have peace with God, but I stand in his grace. You see, the thought of this to the Jewish people were unthinkable. That Paul would write this. Again, remember the background and how they felt. A woman in the uh, tabernacle could only go so far. A man could go just a little bit further. And then a priest could go just a little bit further than that. But then only the high priest could go into the holy of holies where the presence of God was, the idea that a regular priest, the idea that a regular man, the idea that a regular woman could go into that was unthinkable to them. (coughs) But Jesus changed all of that when we came to know the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. What did Jesus do on the cross? Do you remember what the Bible says? That veil, that veil that uh, was so thick that hung from top to bottom, that veil in the temple. The the moment he died, that veil was rent and torn from top to bottom and that barrier that stood between me and the presence of God in grace. I stand in grace. What is grace? I don't deserve to be there. I did nothing to earn myself there. I didn't invite myself in. The Lord Jesus Christ came and invited me in. He did it through this incredible grace and kindness that he has in Ephesians 2, 7. So God can point us in all future ages as examples of incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us. I stand here in that grace. I want you to take a moment and just think about where you stand in the Lord Jesus Christ. You stand in the very presence of God at the very throne of grace. You say, oh my goodness, I'll just stand over here in the corner. I have no right to go up there to the throne. That's not what he's standing there. He's not talking about crawling in the corner and hunkering down and standing there. You say, well, I'll get over here and just sit down. That's what I'll do. I'll mind my own business. I'll just sort of observe and watch everything else that's going on. That's not what he says there. You walk into that sphere and position of grace You say, what if somebody throws me out? Well, nobody threw you in there to start with. You were invited in there. You were standing on the outside. You never even thought about going in or ever thinking that you could go in. But the Lord Jesus Christ came down and came and got your hand and took you by the hand and took you into the sphere and the position of grace. And there you stand and you say, "Oh, would it be okay if I say something? And the Lord Jesus Christ says he wants you to say something. He wants you to talk to him. Well, 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 I'd be ashamed. I'm afraid that I'd be too pushy. No, he wants you to boldly come to the throne of grace and ask him and keep asking him. But you don't understand the needs that I've got. But you don't understand the grace that he has. His grace is sufficient to meet all of your needs. You have nothing going on in your life that God cannot meet and that God cannot do in your life today. Don't you understand where you are today? I'll guarantee you that if some billionaire came out here to Fruitland and asked to speak in this chapel today and stood up and said, I've got good news for you. I'm you, uh, issuing a checkbook to every one of you. I've got billions of dollars. I couldn't ever possibly spend it all. And I'm going to give you that checkbook. Well, what all's available to me? Well, it's all available to you. Anything you need, you can write that check. You you see, you've got it. I'm giving it to you now. I guarantee you, you, listen, we, we couldn't get back to the second class. You would shout all over this chapel today. You'd run home to your wife and say, look at this checkbook that I have. I've got everything I ever need or everything I could ever spend. Look at how God's blessed us. You'd shout all over. Friend, I want to tell you that being there would look like a pauper in the sight of God. I'm telling you, we serve God today that owns it all, that has it all, that can give it all, and has offered it all to us. in this God? can we sit still and not rejoice in God as we stand in grace today you talk about loading your wagon what we have where we stand and listen to one other thing and what we know listen as he moves in these verses here we stand in grace and we rejoice in the hope of glory now notice this. He starts with hope and then he's going to end with hope. We rejoice in the hope of glory. And not only that, we also glory in tribulations. He said, well, I'll tell you right now, I'm not excited about my tribulations. I don't like what I'm experiencing. I don't like what I'm going through. How many times have I said the devil's trying to kill me? I don't say that anymore. Let me tell you, as a child of God that has peace with God, that stands in his grace, nothing's going on in my life that God's not allowing today. He's either correcting me or he's perfecting me. And I don't care how bad you're having it this morning. By the way, let me just remind you of some of the words of the person that wrote this this morning. Listen, do you have it worse than this? Here's what Paul said about himself. I'm in tribulation, I'm in distress, I'm in a famine, I'm naked, I'm in peril, I'm in sword, I'm waiting to be executed, I'm waiting to be killed all day long, condemned to death, I'm a spectacle to the world, I'm considered a fool, I'm dishonored, I'm defamed, I'm buffeted on every side, I'm shipwrecked, I'm jailed. I'm left for dead and I'm soon going to die. Have you got it worse than that this morning? I say not. I'm trying to tell you that God is doing something in your life and God's doing something in my life. And he spells it out right there. He says, let me tell you why it's tribulation. By the way, this is a theme all the way through the Bible. James says, count them all as joy. God's up to something in your life. Listen to me this morning. You need to be thankful that God cares enough about you to knock the edges off of your life this morning. To mold you and make you into what he wants you to be. That that he's doing something. Let me tell you what you ought to be concerned about. If you're on a cruise spiritually this morning, you ought to be concerned. If nobody said anything bad about you, Concern. Woe unto the man everybody speaks well of. If you have no troubles this morning, you ought to be concerned. If the devil's not attacking you this morning, you ought to be concerned. Now, now, these tribulations that come, they come for a reason and they have a purpose. Well, what, what are those? Well, first, perseverance. You see, God wants me to learn to stick to something. God doesn't want me to quit. God doesn't want me to give out. God doesn't want me to give in. He's preparing me for a little bigger battle down the road. So so what he's got to do is he's got to knock everything off of me that's not good and that's what these tribulations do. Paul says it's like the gold. You put it in and all that bad stuff goes away and the gold's left. That's what God's trying to do is knock all of the the bad, the, the unholiness off of you. Because if tribulations do anything, they drive us back to the foot of the cross and back to the Lord Jesus Christ and get us to a point where we say, okay, God, what is it that you want us to do? It's steel. It's steel. Before they ever put steel in a bridge, they test it to be sure it can stand up under the weight that it's going to carry. Here you are preparing for the ministry. And, and, and you need to understand whether you're going to make it or not. You need to understand what kind of strength you have. Can you bear up under the load and what it is that's going to go? And I wonder if anybody needs to hear this. And 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 Jerry, you and I've often talked about this. One of the things I'm most thankful about your ministry and my ministry is we've got some places and we stayed there. We didn't run at the first sign of some kind of a problem. I think back at Piedmont Baptist Church when. That church was just booming with revival. And all those men surrendered to preach, what would have happened if my daddy had stayed and not run? How many preachers they run? Well, why do you think preachers move every two or three years? There's no perseverance about them. I was reading in one of Kenneth's writings, old Bible's a while ago. He had written down that a thousand Southern Baptist ministers a year quit the ministry. No perseverance whatsoever. God's doing something in your life. You don't get that opportunity till you know you can withstand that opportunity. I remember something Dr. Ralph Logan Carson used to say. Don't pray for a strong ministry. You look at a man that's in a strong ministry. You don't know what all he's gone through to get in that strong ministry. I can guarantee you part of it is perseverance. Because God wants to know what you're made of. Let me ask you, do you want to be a an untested rookie that sets on the bench, or do you want to be a seasoned veteran? We watched the Super Bowl, and we watched Tom Brady, and I'm not, I am not don't care who you pull for in that, but there was a seasoned veteran that had already been there taking that team down the field. They had confidence in him because of the perseverance he had demonstrated all of the years he's been in the league. What kind of perseverance do you have? And perseverance produces character. You see, what God wants to do is to see how genuine he knows, but he wants you to see how genuine you are if you are the real deal. I've been reading one of Ron Dunn's books about strange ministries and ministers that God uses in our life. And he goes back and he talks about Jacob. And he talks about Jacob in Genesis 28 where he had this vision and he saw these angels coming up and down the ladder he was so thrilled. It was a thrilling experience, Ron Dunn said. And he was so thrilled that you don't think he didn't get excited. He filled out a pledge card and offered to tithe the rest of his life. You're really excited if you fill out a tithe card and <laughs> offer to tithe the rest of your life. That's in Genesis 28. And then you move on over several chapters, and that happened at, uh, there at Bethel. But then you move on over a few chapters to where Jacob was, and he was afraid Esau was going to kill him. And, and here he was, and he was going back, and all of a sudden, some, something, somebody grabbed him. He couldn't get away. He couldn't get away. You know, if somebody rares back to hit you in the nose, you can run, but if somebody grabs you and throws you to the ground, you have no choice but to fight. And I'm not sure who Jacob thought it was. Esau, one of Esau's uh, soldiers, or some thug, or the devil attacking him, And here's what Rondon said. I'll guarantee you who he didn't think it was. He didn't think it was God. But it was the angel of the Lord. And there God was wrestling with him. And and finally, when Jacob realized this, what did he say? I'm not going to let you go, Jacob said, to you bless me. I want you to bless me. And do you remember what happened in that story? You need to read it. What is your name? He wasn't asking him who he was. If you wanted to know who he was, you'd say, who are you? No, no, he knew who he was. What is your name? The reason you're going through this, the reason I'm wrestling you, I'm trying to get you to get honest with yourself. What is your name? Doesn't mean much to us when we just say Jacob. But when he said that and finally said it, and the angel said, say it. Say it. If you want to be blessed, say it. It meant who you are. And really what Jacob said is, I'm a trickster. I'm a swindler. I'm somebody that's a fraud. That's who I am. And I love what Ron Dunn said. God was trying to jerk the Jacob out of Jacob so that he could establish Israel. Don't you understand what God's doing? You to have the kind of character that can stand in the ministry, that can be effective in ministry. And here it is. And those tribulations produce perseverance. And perseverance produces character. And then character produces hope. I read something about three weeks ago that honest to the Lord, I couldn't figure out what it meant. I read it in a commentary. I actually, read it in two or three commentaries. And I couldn't figure out what it meant until just a couple of days ago the Lord showed me in the scripture what it meant. And here's what it said. It says that hope is both the parent and the child of in. Daddy, just in a nutshell, he was a machine gunner in uh, World War II. Uh, I'm telling you, he was a man's man. And I remember when Jerry and I were just boys, and we were the children, and he was the parent that sort of showed us the way. But I watched Jerry in his later years go from. you understand that where you sit you preach hope. God said we're going to make it. God said you're going to make it. We've got hope. And then you go through all of these trials. And you would think that trials would drive us away from God. Not if you're the real deal. No, trials drive us back to God. When I came out here, I was 25 years old when I came to Fruitland. I sat where you sat preached with enthusiasm and energy and hope having experienced a little. Now I'm 64 years old on the backside of my ministry having gone through and going through a lot. And let me tell you what, I am more sure of my hope in God today than I've ever been before. Billy Graham died not long ago And he was 99 years old, and he had lost his voice, much of his eyesight. He couldn't hold his hands steady without trembling. He couldn't even hold a Bible. He no longer had the energy, nor really enough enthusiasm to stand and preach. Just about all the things he had that made him the greatest evangelist that ever lived was gone from him. But the one thing he still had was his hope. His hope never left him. And here's some of the last words he said. You're gonna read that Billy Graham died. But Billy Graham is not dead. He's more alive than he's ever been before. Because I believe that he that began a good work in me is fully able. To see me back through the end. Amen. Don't forget what you have. Don't forget what you know. And don't forget where you stand. Amen. And God will load your back. Father, thank you for your word and what it says to us. May we go out of here refreshed and renewed. We might have come in empty, but may we go out full. In Jesus' name I do.